Bill Ryder joins us now, CBS Sports NBA insider, also host of Ryder Than You weekdays, 10 to noon Eastern on our sister network, actually, CBS Sports Radio. And let's start with these playing games, Bill. Uh, I love this Thunder team, man. Like, I, they're... They're just they're young, they're energetic, they've got nothing to lose. I think that makes a team like that incredibly dangerous. I don't think they're winning a series when they get to the playoffs, but I do like them actually against the Timberwolves tomorrow. What is it about this Thunder team that just makes them like would you say that they overachieved this year cuz it certainly feels like an overachievement even with some of the young talent on that roster. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. Hey guys, great to be on. I, and by the way, I think we're on the same page because I bet on the Thunder to win that game. I've actually bet on the Thunder to come out of this play-in and play the one seed. And I think you nailed the exact reason. This is all just extra credit. There is very little, if any, pressure. The expectations from the folks I've talked to around the NBA, and this is an expectation that this Thunder team will be really competitive, right? Top three, four seed or better in two or two, you know, three seasons from now. But the fact that it's happened at this point, that, that Josh Giddy has emerged, almost had a 30-point triple-double yesterday, that Jet Holmgren hasn't even played yet, that they have 15 draft picks, first-round picks in the next five years, and that Shea Gill, just Alexander, who I put fifth on my official MVP ballot, the fact that all of this is happening, and some of this is happening on the floor, and it's happening this quickly on the floor, it's been pretty shocking and pretty fun to watch. Yeah, let's stay in the West. I'm curious your thoughts on this team, a team that had a ton of high expectations for the preseason, a team that took the Suns to the brink. Zion signed a new contract. We thought he was going to be healthy. Zion cleared to play uh, in that last game, mentally says he wasn't there. What's your take on where the Pelicans go from here outside of just the issues that they've had with injuries, and were you surprised that Zion didn't try to give it a go? Yeah, well, I wish I were surprised. I think it's certainly a dump, it's a dumpster fire. I mean, let's not pretend it's anything else. This was a Pelicans team that was just just behind when, when Zion got hurt 46 games ago, being the best team in, in the Western Conference at, at that point of the season. They are built to win now. They are not necessarily built to win later. They obviously made a move last year at the trade deadline for C.J. McCollum. And so normally I would hesitate to criticize a young guy coming off injury, even a guy as high-profile as Zion, for not playing in a literally a must-win game. But you said it. When he says that he's able to play but doesn't feel like himself, and he said it in a much more obnoxious third-person kind of way, and when you see the highlights of him dunking before the game, mm-hmm. it's a, it's a head-scratcher. And I, you know, obviously I don't know the, all the details. Maybe he misspoke. Maybe he's being too optimistic. But I think that if you're a Pelicans fan or you're in that organization and you're, the, you know, you're David Griffin who runs basketball operations, that is a very frustrating reality because not only did you lose out on this season, in the modern NBA, there's no guarantee if Zion ever gets healthy and plays a bunch of games that he won't just decide to force himself somewhere else. If you're in a market like New Orleans, you have to seize every moment that you have. Yeah, what does your gut tell you about this situation? Because, I mean, it's t- you knew the Pelicans had to draft him, but we also were always worried about this type of situation where he can't stay healthy on the court, and we're seeing that now, and Zion got his big deal, and he has that security. Is this a situation now where he could look around and go, I don't really want to be here. This is my opportunity to force my way out? Yeah, I think I think the real worry would be he comes back next year in the regular season, he mm-hmm. plays a bunch of games, and he forces his way out of the tread deadline. I know this isn't the topic we're talking about, but the modern NBA is just built in a way that if a star wants to go, he gets to go, right? That's just yeah. that's the way that it works. And so that's that was the quandary the Pelicans were in when they gave Zion the rookie max deal they gave him. I don't mind the gamble on him because of his health. I do mind the concern that the guy might want to go go somewhere else when he gets the chance. And now. You've got a guy saying that he's healthy, he's not going to play. I know it's different, 
but it almost crosses from you over into Ben Smith territory, where if you talk to GMs honestly and openly, they'll question whether he cares about basketball. It's it maybe an unfair leap to make with Zion, but it's certainly where my brain went when in an elimination game he said he could play and he didn't play. It's it is at best perplexing and head scratching. It's weird, Bill, because you talk about a, a dumpster fire. Another team that feels, I guess, like adjacent to a dumpster fire is the Minnesota Timberwolves. Uh, Rudy Gobert obviously punches his teammate, uh, Kyle Anderson. You know, you've got Jade McDaniels breaks his own hand. Like, What did you make of, of that game? Do you think that the Timberwolves missed the playoffs altogether? And like, what do they do from here? Yeah, it is, it is dumpster fire, Jason. It's like, dumb, it's like dumpster, and maybe there's some smoke. I can't tell if the sparks have caught any of the trash inside. I So this... The context of this is really interesting because they obviously traded just a an all-world haul for Rudy Gobert. And if, and I think they will, but you know, if you miss the playoffs or if you make the playoffs and you just get smoked in the first round by somebody, with that deal post-Gobert, I think it really calls into question the vision. It calls into question the front office. I, I like how they're built in the long term because despite the fact that he vanished for almost the entire game, I'm a big Anthony Edwards fan, and I think he's going he's gonna to figure it out. But Timberwolves fans have had a generation now, or at least a career, of Carl Anthony Towns not being surrounded by the right pieces. So I think there's an enormous amount of pressure on them in this game tomorrow to win this game because Cat is getting older and Ant is there now. But again, guys can force their way out. And they traded so much for Rudy Gobert. And I think the fact that you've got dudes punching each other and punching walls to, to injure themselves speaks to a level of dysfunction that is bringing down what I think is, a, on paper, that's a really good basketball team. They're not going to win an NBA championship this year, but they should not be in the playing game, and they should not be punching each other, and they should not have suspensions that affect things. It is just the picture, very publicly, of an organization that's in turmoil. I posited this question on Twitter. I wanted to get your thoughts. You know, which team do you think is in worse shape for the next five years? The Dallas Mavericks or the Timberwolves? <laughs> oh, it's such a great question. So my sort of like emerging perspective on the Mavericks that I haven't quite written yet, but I'll say it here with you guys, I started to wonder if maybe Mark Cuban isn't the Kyrie Irving of owners. Like, looks really impressive, really shiny. Everybody thinks that the talent's there, but it's actually a disaster. And so I th my answer is going to be the Mavericks. I'm a huge believer that Kyrie Irving is a net negative, and the stats bear that out, even before you get into all the anti-Semitic garbage and all the weird stuff that he's done over the course of the last few years. Luka Doncic is clearly unhappy. That dude could certainly force his way out. There are executives around the NBA who think a summer from now, that could be the case if things don't go well next year. And this is a Mavs team that was, what, in the four spot when they traded for Kyrie and obviously not only didn't make the playoffs, but intentionally set everyone, forcibly set Luka after the first quarter to lose a game and not even be in this play-in. I think the Mavs are in markedly worse shape because I don't believe that it's a guarantee that A, they're well run, and that B, their generational talent and Luka Doncic wants to be there three, two, five years from now. Talking to Bill Ryder, BetMGM tonight. Uh, I'm looking at some of these series prices for the Western Conference, because that to me feels like the more interesting start, at least to the playoffs, is what you've got going on with, I mean, really, teams that are seeded probably lower than what they would be if they had either been healthy or made the moves they've made before the season started. Like the Lakers are a 7 seed, and they're slight dogs to the Grizzlies, but not by much. Golden State's minus 275 uh, for the series over Sacramento, who's the three seed right there. It's the Warriors. I bet the Warriors to win the title when they were 17 to 1, because you just, that's one of those teams, that. right? You just, you yeah. can't, you can't count them out. I, I mean, what. What are the chances that we have, I mean, Lakers, Golden State, and even the Clippers, like three lower seeds winning their first-round playoff matchups? 
Look, I think I think the first two. I, I think the Warriors and the Lakers are are, are likely to win. Now, you, you hit on this. Everybody is live in, in this opening round. I think everybody, except maybe the winner of tomorrow night's game in the Western Conference, and and maybe maybe the Clippers just because of Paul George and the Suns. But who knows? It's hard to know. Kevin Durant has been there for nine games, right? He's played for eight nine games. I think the Lakers, for me, likely win. I'm betting on the Lakers to win the series. I'm not betting the Warriors because I don't like the price, but I also have a ticket for them to win the whole thing from a while ago, and I feel really good about where they're at. So two of the three can win that series, and if if the Suns look old or, or Chris Paul looks really old or Kevin Durant doesn't quite click with these guys in the postseason or, God forbid, he or someone gets hurt because these dudes have been injured throughout the course of the year and obviously KD coming off that injury, then it is absolutely wide open. I don't think there's a time, and I've had this talk with GMs who agree, in my time covering the NBA in the last 15 years and being a fan for the last 30, that I can remember either conference being this wide open at this point of the postseason. What are your thoughts on this Lakers team? I mean, they're certainly much better. I, I loved them. I bet them to make the playoffs the minute they made all those trades at the deadline. So I've been high on them, but I also have, you know, the worries of Anthony Davis getting hurt again or LeBron starting to get worn down or Draymond Green pointing out the fact that he looks gassed basically at the end of a game. I mean, he played, what, 40 minutes? They didn't want to play those extra minutes, I'm sure. But, you know, is this a Lakers team when you really actually watch them? You see, see people start throwing around championship, and I'm like, well, they still are a seventh seed here. Do you see them as a legit championship contender in this wide open West? Well, I didn't have the sort of wisdom and foresight you did because I, I wrote them off even after <laughs> that. I thought they were I thought they were done and credit to them and I, I swung and missed on that one. I think normally I would write I would say at this point they could make a really spirited run. They could make a second round and push somebody. But the way they're constructed, some of their weaknesses, the things you noted about LeBron James looking like he's 80 and you know Anthony Davis doing his best Humpty Dumpty imitation, it feels like every eight months would would give me pause. But the West is so open, I, I don't know. I mean, LeBron does look gassed, but he also had some moments uh, that were defensively magical down the stretch of the regular season that reminded me of, of old LeBron. And Tom Brady reminded us of this a few years ago. Steph Curry maybe not quite as big of a surprise, but last year, if you have a GOAT, if you have literally one of the greats of all time, and they're surrounded by some pieces that are fairly impressive, it doesn't matter what the narrative is. It's not a good idea to sleep on who they are and what they can do. And I certainly think the West is open enough that the Lakers could, could make the NBA Finals. I don't think they will. There's other teams that I think are better. But LeBron James, I think, is still LeBron. And if, it's a huge if, Anthony Davis remains healthy, they are really, really talented. I'll throw one more thing in there. Lakers officials had been telling me what you had said forever since the trade deadline they were going to make it work. Because I don't think people realize how toxic things had gotten between Russell Westbrook and the entire organization, the coaching staff, the players. It was, it was bad. And that is always amplified by, Le- by LeBron, who I've covered. When things are good, they're really good with LeBron there. When things are bad, they're really bad. He's an amplifier. Those guys, I'm told, like each other for the first time this year since mm-hmm. the deadline. They like playing together. I think that matters, too. I'm curious, Bill, if, you, if you've seen the beef between Spencer Dinwiddie and Kyle Kuzma. And, no, uh, you know, and, yeah, not, I mean, like, it's interesting, right? No, no, the answer is, like, not, I mean, I'm aware of it, but I don't know how much I think it's going to be impactful. Right. Um, I, I guess, like, do you know the origins of, of why Spencer Dinwiddie has been coined as some sort of cast-off or why certain 
teams have said that they think that he was like a shell of himself or, you know, maybe a – I think they, they called him a cancer. Well, he did insult the Wizards on his way out. He's made a point right. to insult them. Yep. I know there's that, but it sounds like there's a lot more than that, it feels like. So I'll say this. I don't know anything that I would say on the air or in a call. It, remind, it, it reminds me of the Andrew Wiggins thing. When Wiggins was missing and I heard all these crazy things and I wouldn't have said those out loud either and they weren't true, right? He has a real personal thing going on with his family and, you know, that, that's awful and he's obviously returning. But I will say that, that the NBA, and not just the NBA, like what we do for a living, anything, I've known people who were writers, like I started as a newspaper writer, who were really normal, great people, who got really successful, who became crazy weirdos, awful people. Not everybody, but a couple. And people who didn't have the success they wanted, who went to a bad place. And the NBA is obviously 10,000 times that in terms of fame, wealth, opportunity, ego, sycophants around you. I don't know if this applies to Dinwiddie or not, but certainly people will tell you that sometimes guys just go off the rails when they get paid or don't feel respected or both. I saw, you know, we talked about your article when it came out about Atlanta. We saw against Miami what Atlanta could be. They look almost like you see the possibility of a really good future. When you watch them, what has Snyder done to turn this team around? So they've got them trying, which I know sounds like it should be a requirement of the job, but it's not. You know, human beings, when they're miserable, don't always work as hard as they should, all of us. So he's got them trying, so the defense has improved. I'm not sure it's improved markedly, because it's not as consistent as it could be, but there's a higher defensive ceiling since Quinn took over. But I think the big thing is his ability to either make Trey Young fit into that locker room or to make him fit in enough that it's working. I mean, as I reported, we talked about it, and the Ringer and Shams just came out with this, I think, what, three or four days ago. Quinn does have all the power in that organization. He is, as I understand it, ahead of Landry Fields, the GM, and everyone else in terms of decision-making. And when you're a coach and you have that power and the people know you have that power, maybe the Trey Youngs of the world act a little differently, follow the rules, right, are a little less inclined to undermine you. So I think Quinn's been put in a better situation to succeed. If you get the best out of Trey Young or a better version, and you're able to make him fit in with that locker room. So guys then are starting to actually set picks for him and play defense because Trey's not great defensively. You do have a Hawks team that is talented, make the, made the conference finals a couple years ago. I think that's what we're seeing. Whether it's sustainable with Trey Young is another question, but you're right. Quinn Snyder has been a key piece, and I think those are some of the reasons. Bill Ryder, CBS Sports, CBS good Sports Radio. Good, always good talking to you, man. Appreciate you coming on. Yeah, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah.